When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I have been jamming some Adventures in Forgotten Realms drafts, and I'm sure you have too. Where are you at in the format? How are you, how are you liking it so far? Well, we're just going to lead off with this, huh? We're just going to start out <laughs> no, with it? No, we, we don't have to. <laughs> I'm not enjoying it that much, to be honest, Ben. Uh, and I think you feel similarly. Um, but yeah, I think this is probably the first format in, in a while, or perhaps the first format in the lifetime of our podcast and being, you know, full-time content creators or whatever, that I, I'm just sort of not really feeling even, you know, this early into the set. Yeah, I have been feeling similarly. It has been rough. I, I don't think there's a lot of play to the format. And I don't think there's a lot of sweet things to do. I think the coolest deck is also the best deck. And I think that's probably red black. It's very close for me between red black and red white. But I think red black has a lot more flexibility and a lot more things going on than red white does but i think a streamlined red white deck might still be the best deck yeah i think like my favorite deck to draft is black white venture control but that doesn't come together that has a pretty big fail rate i'd say in terms of like you need to not only open the good commons for that deck right you need the good twos to be defensive you need to get the good removal from black but you also then need the good engine cards at uncommon or maybe even rare if you're so lucky and so to get all of those pieces together is just sort of a luck of the draw type deal um but that is like my favorite deck but i agree with you that i think probably if you're just trying to win red black red white that's that's where you want to be but it is it has felt like a mostly mardu set for me so far yeah and i think so far the format has been tough not tough in that like difficult to win, but tough to, I think, be creative in. And so one of the things I think we're going to try to do in this episode is, you know, it feels like the aggressive decks are the best. And one of the things we're going to try to talk about is how to you know, combat those aggressive decks or what are the tools you have to do against the things that your opponent are going to be attacking you with. Yeah, for sure. Right. So you're under attack here in uh, in this format and in this episode, and we're going to try and combat that as best we can to hopefully get some some play to the format. But I agree. And I think part of what I think our job is as podcasters or as as streamers for myself, you know, I think some people approach the format or approach their content as like, I want to win or I want to show people how to win the most. And I think part of what we're supposed to do or the approach that we take on Lords of Limited is to try and give you as much of a holistic approach to the format as possible. I, I know for myself, especially I really like to experiment or play around or see what build arounds there are, or what sweet niche decks there are. And I'm going to do my best. And we're, I think we are trying to do our best to discover those and bring them to the table. I think the problem is they just can't quite compete with this tier one deck that we've identified. Yeah, I feel similarly. So yeah, you're under attack this week, and we're going to get to that in just a second, but a few housekeeping things before we do so. First things first is the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. Of course, the show will always be free. There's lots of great perks over there at the Patreon. You get access to our show notes in anticipation of the episode's release. You get access to all of our draft logs and deck picks courtesy of 17lands.com, which thankfully is now back on its feet with the Arena update this week. Thank you, Arena, for getting that stuff together. Um, And we got some other stuff. 
stuff, private section of the Discord, monthly coaching sessions, if that's something that you're interested in. So head on over to the Patreon if uh, you want to get back to the show, if you feel like you've gotten some value out of our weekly episodes here. And of course, we're going to welcome each of our new patrons to the fold the first week that they join. So this week, we are welcoming Jesper, Badger Honey, Nico, Eden, Tim, Nathan, Danny, Gary, Heckin' Jen, Bradley, Felix, William, Alan, Anton, and Scott. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, I cannot say thank you enough. I do think people that want to get back to the show is just incredible. Uh, blows my mind that the show is where it is, considering where we started four years ago. So thank you to all of you, whether you're a listener or a patron, from the bottom of our hearts. Yeah, Ben, I was looking back through our our uh, logs of episodes, and we forgot to have our like four year anniversary. But I didn't realize that we released our first episode, our very first episode, on July fourth. So that's gonna gonna stick in my mind from now on. So yeah, we are past the four year mark together so far. Holy cow! Congrats to us. Congrats to us. Shows also brought to you in part by Channel Fireball, who is a huge part of the show's success. Channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. They've got lots of stuff going on. This past weekend, the Wizards Forgotten Realms release party, digital over spell table that they hosted, uh, wrapped up. So both you and I had a chance to play in that. Where did the points shake out? I don't know. I played on the first day and have not checked back in yet. I just got a notification. I'll check right now. Currently, Team Wizards is leading by a pretty big margin, 886, and then Cleric, Warrior, and Rogue in that order, but all pretty close, those three teams. Wah, wah, my team's in last place. Yikes. But that's been a blast. Really enjoyed playing with people, um, you know, played against some fans of the podcast, played against some people from all over the world. It's, it's a really cool event. So there's a lot of sweet stuff going on at Channel Fireball. And if you need any product, they've still got pre-orders going on uh, for Adventures in Forgotten Realms. They've got uh, commander decks, draft collector booster crates in stock. Those are the ones where you get like the full art lightning bolts, the promo path to exile and soul rings, a bunch of other goodies. So anything sealed product wise you need, head over to Channel Fireball and they can hook you up. And whatever you're getting over there, whether it's that or maybe a CFB Pro subscription, please make sure you use code LOL, all caps, to let them know that we sent you over there. Last bit of housekeeping, just a reminder that you can get Lords of Limited merch. Head on over to our website, lordsoflimited.com. Click on the merch tab. It'll head on over to TeePublic and you can get whatever you need. T-shirts, mugs, stickers, pins, all that good stuff. And also we've got our tier list up to date there as well on our website. Boom. So let's dive into the format. What have you been drafting? What have you been winning with? What have you been losing to? Just how do you we sort of chatted a little bit already, but where are you at? Yeah, well, like I said, I think my favorite thing to do right now is black, white venture control, turtle up, get my repeatable venture enablers online, dungeon map probably being the best. I like 50 feet of rope as well. A hawk if you uh, are, are so inclined or a secret door if you're base blue, which hasn't really happened that much. I did have, here's the, the sweetest thing. So I, I know that some sweet stuff can be done. I had a really sweet, my first and only I think so far blue white deck the other day that was like a blue white artifacts deck, but I had it needed two rares. So I had the black staff. That's the single blue uh, artifact that you can pay one and a blue to tap it, keep it tapped to have a non-token artifact uh, be a 4-4 for as long as it remains tapped. And then I also had uh, Oswald Fiddlebender. That's the one and a white 2-2. Two, two, and you can pay a white, tap it to like sack an artifact and then find an artifact with uh, mana value one greater than the artifact you sacked. So it's sort of like a birthing pod thing. So you can turn your treasures into your portable holes or your reapers, talismans. But I had, I had two of the potion of healing in that deck so those are the one and a white artifacts they enter the battlefield you draw cards so they replace themselves you can sack them to gain three life or can sack them to oswald to go find your dungeon map and so i was doing some sweet like turn a treasure into a portable hole or whatever or then like pod up to my potion up to my dungeon map so that was pretty sweet I, I i had a lot of fun with that deck but again i think those sorts of 
sweet decks on, I should say it, it did 3060 on arena and best of three. So it was also powerful. But I, I will say that I think those kinds of decks are going to come together rarely. And that's partially because I think you do need some higher rarity cards for them to be good. But you also need those commons, those those reliable pieces like those defensive speed two drops or those good removal spells to make those decks tick. So I've been living in Esper life most of the time, like trying to do sweet venture dungeon stuff because that's where i'm most inclined to be like i feel like the other the red decks have sort of been figured out right like i think people know about red white aggro or the versatility of red black being a treasure deck but also being you know a steel and sack deck and being a good home for splashing because of treasures but it can also play an aggressive game right red black just gets to do so many things that i think that's why it's you know perhaps the best deck in the format um but yeah that's uh that's sort of what i've been doing how about you i did my mythic grind and i mostly actually ground up to mythic with green white i just kept getting forced into green white and kind of turtling up against some of the more aggressive decks but i've played probably the most red white green white red black i think those are my my picks for the top three decks Mm -hmm. Um, and i've I've played a smattering of other decks along the way and then once i hit mythic i went over to best of three just to kind of try to derp around and see what else there was to do in the format and i promptly o2'd one two three times in a row and burnt 45 gems to a crisp and then i was kind of like eh, i don't know about this and went back to back best of one and, and tried to win again so why not try winning in best of three <laughs> i don't know i'm a little unmotivated by the lack of a leaderboard or a ranking yeah. system i just need that external motivation i guess so i think if i'm going to try to win i'd rather have the rating system on the line yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I'm I'm fine to just try and print some gems in best of three or burn <laughs> or burn them if I'm trying to to derp around as well. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's tough to to know what is like what is left to explore in the format because I was hoping that sort of the red black treasure like that's your home for a splishy splash deck was going to maybe be a derpier deck, but it's kind of just the best deck. I mean, like I said, the versatility of red black is what makes it so good that it can play aggro. It can play grindy thanks to like Skullport Merchant or other cards like that. But I I just feel like, you know, that's sort of been discovered already and i'm trying to figure out what's left for us to you know (laughs) dig through here (laughs) yeah and i think red black also can just play a double off color rare right you can just put your imrinth in your red black deck with no islands or whatever who is i was thinking i was watching beers sc stream or or court of call stream but one of them was saying Honestly, if you open Tarask, you should try and be red black. Like, don't try and be green. You can play Tarask in your red black deck. That makes sense to me. Dang, that is like, that is such a weird way to think about the format, but it's so true. There's so much incidental treasure making to be had in that color pair. I've seen it in the Discord. There's a red black Tarask trophy deck. It was either NCAA or JMTron, I think, one of those. Yeah, an unexpected windfall feels like a pretty like important piece of that deck as well just it it feels again like sort of sees the spoils-esque in Kaldheim right it's Traveler's Amulet plus Thrill of Possibility in one card it's it's doing that thing that we found success doing in Theros Beyond Death where you know you want these things that can fix your mana for the things you're splashing but then you also want the cards that can dig towards the bombs you're splashing or pitch them when you don't have the mana to cast them and that Windfall card really just does that all in one piece. Yeah, completely agree. So we know that aggro feels a little king in this format. It feels like that's the thing to beat, whether it's red, white, red, green, some red based aggressive deck feels like probably the best strategy. And I think it can be, you know, if if green, white is something you're getting pushed into as Ben found success with grinding up the ladder, that's another good aggressive deck. Um, So what are the things that you're going to be facing 
with these aggressive decks and how are we going to combat them? Well, and I don't even know that characterizing the format as all aggro is fair, but you just have to be impacting the board every step along the way. Like sometimes you're not going to be the beatdown, but if you're not keeping track of two drop, three drop, four drop, you're just going to fall behind, I think. But once you get past that initial thing, which I think is what we're going to try to describe here, and you can get to the middle of the late game, it is possible to turn the corner and to start to use mana sinks or to start to cast your six drops and take over the game that way. But basically, Basically, as far as like being under attack, you know, we've seen the equipment be absolutely awesome, right? Boots of Speed is premium in red. It's the one that gives plus one plus O in haste. Reaper's Talisman has been super oppressive in black. That's the uncommon black one that, you know, whenever your creature attacks alone, it gets death touch and drains for two. That one has closed out a lot of games that would otherwise be, you know, unwinnable thieves tools. You kind of found that one super early. That's been very impressive. And again, just makes it to where you can't quite interact with your opponent pushing the last six to nine points of damage or something. And so all of these equipment have been very good. I think the three equip equipments like plus two mace, things of that ilk are less good unless you're rocking Bruiner Battlehammer, which is the red, white uncommon. That card is absurd. Speaking of absurd cards, Bruiner Battlehammer, I think is just solid B plus A minus in the format. It's very good. Yeah, for sure. So I think the equipment is something you're going to need to combat. And just knowing that ahead of time means that you can include cards in your main deck that blow up artifacts. I think it is just right to do that at this point in the format. Yeah, you need the the barbarian, you need a portable hole, you need even you find a cursed idol, just some way either in your best of one deck or in your main deck. I think you do want main deck answers to these kinds of cards because they are deciding a lot of games. Yes, I completely agree. And then if we go through colors, you know, red cards that stand out as cards that you're going to need to be able to deal with Battlecry Goblin. Uh, Hobgoblin Captain, Hulking Bugbear, that's the 3-3 Haste, just a lot of, and I think this is true across most of the colors, but most of the creatures are small and aggressive, like one or two toughness. What's kind of crazy here is that outside of blue, I I was doing this when I wrote up my eight rules of engagement article for CFB Pro this past week. This has to be the first format in a long time. You know, we always say, I think this is a format where two drops matter, but the two drops aren't good. The two drops are really good in this set. There's like two good two drops per color at common outside of blue. Like even green gets like Null Hunter and the Basilisk. White gets Dwarfhold Champion and Steadfast Paladin. Red gets Hobgoblin Captain and uh, Armory Veteran. Um, Black gets Sepulcher Ghoul and Horde Robber, which I think you and I are a fan of. I mean, it's not like quite an aggressive card, but it is a card that can snowball, right? Like play that on turn two on the play, connect, make a treasure, play your four drop ahead of curve. Like that really can accelerate the game pretty fast. Yeah, and I think all of those two drops, in addition to being good two drops, incentivize you to attack for the most part. Yes, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And then blue doesn't really get there, right? Blue's two drops are Pixie Guide. That's the one three flyer. And the I don't even know its name, but the two one dice roller. And if that were a two two, it could be a lot better. But the fact that it just folds to a goblin token, which everybody has access to because of venture and and plus them existing in red, like blue just doesn't quite get there. And I think that's partially why it's such a, a weak color. Yeah, I completely agree. So that's what you're going to be defending against and or playing yourself and figuring out, you know, what am I supposed to do against these cards? Yeah. So how do you combat them? How do you get to the mid to late game? And then we should also put this caveat of like, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but there's this thing about once you get to the mid to late game, you have to be sure that you can compete with 
those venture control decks that you're not just like, I mean, I guess sometimes you can just get slightly ahead of the aggro decks, but I think if you're trying to, you know, grind those aggro decks to a halt, then there's the next question of what are you going to do once you get there? Right. And there's awkward tension in the format, right? Because you have to play all of these two drops because you need to be on board. But then once you get past that stage, you exactly what you said, you need mana sinks or you need six drops. But then if you've got six drops, it's really weird. Like there's just a lot of tension between the format being aggressive and needing to play to the board. And then also like once that initial rush is over, like you need to play mana sinks, but the mana sinks punish you if your opponent curves out. Like there's just a lot of, of awkward tension, I think. Right. Yeah. As you have in, in our show notes here, a couple points down, you know, you can play a boatload of two drops, but then what happens when your opponent's playing owl bears and hill giant herd gorgers? You're just going to lose to those or be forced to like two for one yourself repeatedly. And that's not a way to win a game of magic. Yeah. So I think if you're trying to get to the mid to late game, which is a reasonable strategy, I think that is a very viable strategy in the format. Mm -hmm. You need to be on board with a creature on turn two, almost as much as you did in War of the Spark. Like It's very important to be playing, I don't know, five to seven two drops in any style of deck, I think. Any style of deck. And and what style of those two drops you want is going to depend, obviously. You know, you know if, if you're more defensive, then you're going to want your Basilisks. If you're more aggressive, you're going to want your Null Hunters. Like, there are flavors of them. I think in white, you just always want the Steadfast Paladins. In red, you always want the Hobgoblin Captains. But, you know, those those cards are, are going to sometimes vary for sure. Yeah, and I think it is possible, you know, if you've got Dragon's Fires or whatever, to skimp on two drop creatures. But uh, I guess ways to interact like prior to turn three, whether that be through blocking with a creature or removal spells. Mm -hmm. Agree. And I think if you aren't hyper aggressive, you really need a way to compete into the late game. So either using those two drops to get to, you know, your five, six mana impactful spells or, you know, mana sinks like dungeon map where you can repeatedly venture. But you need a plan if you're not planning to win with your two drops for what you're going to do in the mid to late game. Yeah, I I love this last point you have here in this section of maybe a clear way of saying this is that you need to identify if you're playing to win with your two drops or your five drops. And I think, you know, you can lump in dungeon map, 50 feet of rope, whatever, as those those quote unquote five drops. Right. Yeah. So either either you're playing a boatload of two drops and you're trying to suit them up with equipment and using those to push through damage or you're you're planning to trade with your two drops. And sometimes it's going to depend on how the game plays out. And I think maybe you have to shift your game plan based on whether you won the die roll or not in best of one, you know, because you're in the position where you have to trade off your two drops and then you want to get to, OK, I'm going to try to cast these four or five, six mana spells. Right. Yeah, exactly. So for these aggressive decks, I feel like the pieces of the puzzle are a little clearer, right? It's it's OK, I need a good curve of creatures. I need a, a critical mass of two drops. I need a few removal spells to push damage. And then I need a few creature augmentation spells. I think that's mostly in this format, the equipment, because the equipment is so good. And I think honorable mention to bull strength in green is like, you know, it's a, honestly just run amok, but you can use it defensively too. Or it's also run amok, but then it makes racing really hard because it untaps the creature. Bull strength has been very, very strong. But that's like just basically the three pieces of that recipe for those decks. For these other decks that want to go late, you have a bit more ingredients that you need to think of to keep this uh, this metaphor going. And one of those is cheap interactive removal spells. So I think the best of the bunch is Dragon's Fire and the Uncommon Magic Missile that can really blow out some aggressive starts. And then also, depending on the decks that you have, both Precipitous Drop and Improvised Weaponry, though they have a, like, a low rate, right? You know, you're paying three mana to effectively deal with a two toughness or less creature. 
they're progressing your game plan either if you're doing a black x venture control deck precipitous drop is fantastic there and honestly improvised weaponry providing you a treasure to get you towards whatever your five mana your six mana impactful plays or just providing a treasure as part of a synergy piece to your red black treasure deck those are both really strong as well i think yeah, I've been very impressed with both those cards. And I think there's a couple things going on there. You know, you'd, you'd say if the format's aggressive, well, you don't want to trade down on mana with your removal spells. Sometimes the aggressive creatures are so difficult to block that it's actually better to have these three mana removal spells than it is trying to block with two or three mana value creatures. Mm-hmm. And I think if you're on the play, it's especially oppressive. If your opponent plays their two drop, you know, whatever, their battle cry goblin or their hobgoblin captain, and you get to improvised weaponry it on your turn three and then next turn if you hit your land drop you're playing a five drop sometimes that's just very difficult for an aggressive deck to deal with so i actually think improvised weaponry and precipitous drop are both quite a bit better than they looked at first blush in the format i agree for sure i mean it's a little awkward right i mean i've definitely faced down my circle of the moon druid from my opponent and looking at my improvised weaponry in hand and crying but i think most of the time that's definitely something that i that i feel i feel like that the fact that they Yes, they're maybe trading down on mana, but they're progressing that game plan in an important way, I think really bumps them up for me. And then I think, you know, if you're also trying to not necessarily win with your two drops, you're wanting to trade them off. Another thing to really consider is that you want your three drops to get you to your five drops faster. So cards like, you know, Clever Conjurer that can untap a land and then all of a sudden on turn four, you're playing a five drop or Dungeon Map is one of the best ones. You know, we started talking about that last week and I keep going up and up and up on that card. It's really, really strong in the format because a lot of the five drop creatures just really blank the aggressive starts because they've got four and five toughness. They're difficult to attack into. And, you know, maybe like Owlbear has cantripped you or even something as simple as in blue, the stupid Rhyme Shield Frost Giant. You know, that's a brick wall for the aggro decks. 100% agree. Yeah. And, and the great thing about Dungeon Map, just to sort of, you know, sing its praises a little bit more, is that it feels like, so my feeling about Venture, as I talked about last week, and I, I have not changed my tune on this, is that you want to be all in or all out, right? You really want to make sure that you can complete dungeons, that that's your game plan. You know, you're getting through Lost Mine, then you're hopping into Mad Mage, and you're going to get through those seven levels reliably. And the way you do that is not by, not with like, I think, attacking, honestly, because I don't want to risk that, and not with these one-offs, though those do help control tribute, but it's the repeatable ways, the maps, and I think the 50 feet of rope, because they're going to largely go uncontested, or your opponent's going to have a tough time interacting with them, unless, you know, they're heeding our advice to main deck artifact removal now. Um, But dungeon map just lets you do that on its own. You can just have your green-red mid-range deck, and and maybe you've stabilized against the aggressive deck, and now it's like, well, how do I win in the mid-to-late game? Well, Dungeon Map is your way to do that, and you don't need other pieces of venture to to make that happen. I think another super underrated card in the format right now is Plundering Barbarian, which doesn't necessarily ramp you to five drops. It kind of does, but I think... It does. Plundering Barbarian, I think, is one of the best cards as far as like trying to beat aggro decks in best of one, certainly in the format, because it's always good, right? Either it's a 2-2 that blows up your opponent's equipment, which is very powerful, or it's a 2-2 that ramps you to turn five, assuming you're hitting your land drops. And then the the 2-2 body's just relevant against all the decks that want to attack you, I think. And then, you know, heaven forbid you're in red black and you've got synergy with the treasurer. I, I just think it's very strong and Every red deck wants at least one and, you know, decks that maybe have synergy would play more copies. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have yet to talk about the Mythic Uncommon Skullport Merchant. This is the Sailor of Means. Uh, Two and a black for a 1-4, enters the battlefield, makes a treasure, and you can pay one and a black to either sack a creature or a treasure to draw a card. The fact that this not only, you know, does all the things we're talking about in terms of progressing your game plan, ramping you from three to five, but it's such a formidable blocker. It has that key four toughness to hold off a first striking Hobgoblin Captain. This is just like really the rock solid three drop you want in the format. One of the things that has been weird to me is that find the path, which is the enchant land and make sure land tap for green, green and ventures on ETB. And then also Neverwinter dryad. Neither one of those cards has felt great to me. How have you felt about them? I could not agree more. Neverwinter Dryad just doesn't feel impactful enough. So you're basically spending three mana as an investment. And yes, you can block sack with it. But just to go find a forest and the fact that neither of these let you splash, I think is a knock against them. Like they don't let you not even just in a two color deck. They don't let you find your second color of mana if you need to. There's not quite enough venturing in green, I think, to make find the path feel like it's doing something, you know, like like the best decks where precipitous drop is just like so good. It's killing a thing and venturing you deeper. I don't think there's enough venture in green, even with, you know, thinking about the wandering troubadour at uncommon or whatever that that's just not often what green is trying to do. Right. And it's weird because find the path and dungeon map look like, Oh, those cards are kind of similar and find the path is barely playable. I would say. And dungeon map is actively and good because it's when you get to that late game scenario, it gives you a way to win the game. Adventure the path or find the path does not do that at all. Right. The fact that it's both ramping you and then a mana sink is so good and find the path just doesn't do that really. Like it's just the one off venture and then you're done. Right. So another way to, you know, get to the late game, green's got a lot of tools, but just life gain in general, I think is very good in the format. So, you know, steadfast paladin premium two drop just simply because it has lifelink. Um, Dawnbringer Cleric also super versatile and similar to Plundering Barbarian. I think every white deck wants a copy of Dawnbringer Cleric because it's so versatile, right? You can use it as that life gain bump against the aggro decks. The one three body is not the most relevant thing on the planet, but a lot of times in white decks, you'll have equipment to make it more relevant. And then if you ever nab a class card or, you know, a claustrophobia or whatever, you know, with your Dawnbringer Cleric on the second enchantment, you feel amazing. Right, especially because everyone's just dumping those class cards out on turn one or two before they activate them. And I've definitely run my Warlock class out on one, just be like, all right, here here it is, or Wizard class or whatever. And then turn two, my opponent plays Dawnbringer Cleric and just eats a card for free. And I know that that one three body is going to be relevant because, as you said, they're almost certainly running equipment in their deck. Right. And then two other cards that have really impressed as far as green decks. And I think green is one of the best as far as, you know, building it to where you, you trade your cards off early with the aggro decks and then you get to your owlbears and your herd gorgers. Inspiring Bard has been a great way to bridge that gap. That's the four mana three, three that ETBs and you can give a creature plus two plus two or gain three life. The gain three life is super relevant when you're behind and also the plus two plus two when you're the beat down. Just that modality in best of one has been very, very strong. And then Hill Giant Herd Gorger or Herd Gorgeous, as I, I like to call it, <laughs> stole, stole that from Amy. Um, shout out to Amazonian. It's just a it's just a house. Seven, six is huge. The gain three life is awesome. Card is very strong in the format. Yeah. Another way that I think you can combat the aggressive plans is just with huge butts. It's a little less reliable because, you know, maybe they've got a trick or maybe the equipment like gets it out of range or whatever. There are snowball-y ways for these decks to push past the high toughness creatures, but there are good ones out there. Circle of the Moon Druid as a three mana two, four in green. 
Secret Door I like less for this, though it is an early four toughness thing you can play, but just the fact that it doesn't actually hold off attackers or, or disincentivize attackers, I think makes it a little worse. Yeah, it's tough because it does, I think, maybe gain you some life in the early turns and is a mana sink in the late game. And I honestly think of all the colors, blue wants to get to the late game the most, which is really awkward, but I, I do like it as a, an early blocker there that gives you a mana sink later. Yeah, uh, Shortcut Seeker has impressed the four mana 2-5 in blue that when it connects, you venture. We talked about Rhyme Shield Frost Giant. That's the five mana 4-5 in blue with Ward 3. I've even liked Air Cult Elemental. as I, I talked about it, I think, last week or two weeks ago as, oh, I like this as top end for my blue-black tempo decks. I have to say... That deck is hard to come together. Like I really have liked it the I think two times I've had it, but it is really hard to get into it. And perhaps that's because of my aversion to blue. Um, but I think Aircult Elemental at the top of a curve, either in those tempo decks, but also in these defensive decks, it really does buy you some time for sure. Yeah, I think Zombie Ogre too, the three black black three five that when something mm-hmm. died on your turn, you know, you're not caring about that part necessarily so much, but just the the five toughness on blocks is pretty good. I will say I went into best of three and these were the types of cards I was experimenting with. Like, can I just, you know, play these cards, slow the game down, have some mana sinks, win that way? And it's it's doable, but I think it's a plan C for sure. I mean, like you, you don't want to actively go after it. Is this just because of the equipment or what were you finding was was tough? Like you were going all in on, all right, if I can just get to my five mana three five, I'll be okay. And they were just too wide or your life total was too low. What was happening? There's just too many ways that can go wrong. There's too many different ways to attack it in the format. You know, your opponent has a timely removal spell. They have a combat trick. There's just so many ways if your opponent's curving out and you're not necessarily curving out. Like there are games where these cards are oppressive. But I think just doing it as a plan in and of itself is just not consistent enough. And you're playing too many cards that just aren't good in the format intrinsically with the way the format's set up. Now, if you get pushed into it in the draft, I think it's important to be aware of and to know that you're going to need to use these cards to combat against the other people that got to draft the things you want to draft. But I don't think you're supposed to go looking for it. I agree. All right. That makes sense. And I think the last thing, you know, just as far as combating these aggro decks is clogging the ground. There's a lot of cards that make multiple bodies or just make it difficult for your opponent to attack. Shambling Ghast is premium in that regard. It's the single black for the one one. And when it dies, you get a treasure or you give a creature minus one minus one. It's tough for aggro decks to attack into a shambling ghast, especially if they're the hobgoblin captain variety. And then, you know, also in red black, you got that treasure synergy going on. So I've really liked shambling ghast. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. I also think shout out to your boy, Priest of Ancient Lore, uh, two in a white, two one ETBs draw card, gain a life. Just a nice little speed bump. You know, if they've got trample or whatever, it's awkward. But the fact that this really does, you know, trade with whatever and your opponent is really incentivized to not want to trade with it because that just gives you a clean two for one. It's a really strong card. Yeah. And again, in white, you're going to have equipment to make the body more relevant as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Two other cards that have really done work are Swarming Goblins and Elter Guard Ranger. Swarming Goblins, you really want to roll double digits to make the two one ones. It's less impressive when you only get one goblin, but it feels very impressive when you make two goblins, especially in a racing situation. And then Elter Guard Ranger, you know, if you don't get owlbears, as I think almost as powerful in some weird way, like Elter Guard Ranger has felt great every time I've cast it and it's been good every time my opponents have cast it. That's the the four one that makes a two two wolf along with it. Yeah, I mean, as long as you're not trying to attack, right? Like, I, I think I could trade or, or try and close out the game, you know, to a reasonable extent. But I think where it's at its best is when you've got that four 
power blocker plus the 2-2, like that really does shore up a lot of your ground defenses. Yeah. So I think that's sort of where I've been at as far as, you know, cards that interact well with the other cards that are good in the format and just things to think about. And I think the most important thing to be aware of when you're building your deck is whether or not you're trying to win with your two drops. I think that that is key, right? You either are one of the aggressive decks and you've got two drops, equipment, that sort of thing. You're trying to push the damage with those twos, or you're using your two drops to trade, your three drops to trade to get to your, your four, five, six mana plays. And if that's the case, you really need to make sure that you're hitting land drops. Yeah, land drops are so important in this format. I, I say this a lot on stream. There is there's one thing I've learned from streaming magic on Twitch. It is that limited <laughs> players hate putting lands in their deck. They absolutely hate it. No one I think has ever suggested to me to run 18 lands. I get suggestions to run 16 lands so often. And while your curve can be deceptively low in this format, you know, oftentimes, you know, very if you're drafting the way we're telling you to draft, which is get a lot of two drops, impact the board early, your curve may be pretty low. But that doesn't mean you don't have places to put your mana. Do you have some class cards running around? Well, those are great mana sinks. Do you have equipment running around? Well, those are places to put your mana in the late game. Are you running a dungeon map or 50 feet of rope or a secret door or a way to venture repeatedly in the late game? You're going to want mana for that as well. Like you cannot miss land drops. And I think people just remember the times that they flood out way more. Like I remember the times where I get stuck on two lands way more than the times that I flood out. Yeah. So I think, you know, if especially if you're the variety of deck that wants to win with four, five, six drops, play 18 lands if you need to or 17 in a dungeon map or two. You know, you should not be afraid to play 18 lands if you're trying to win with five and six mana cards. And shout out to Andrew Cuneo for his tweet about that early on in the format that sort of put me on that wavelength. And I think Mm -hmm. he's 100 percent right. Yeah. If you get one of those rare dragon lands, well, there there's a reason to run 18 lands for sure. Yep. I think card draw and card selection also premium. You know, if you're wanting to advance to the mid to late game stages, Wizards class has been super impressive. I think it's, if not the best, one of the best blue uncommons. And then, you know, even cards like Contact the Other Plane, which is the the draw spell at instant speed in blue, Deadly Dispute is premium, especially in black red sacrifice. That's the one that lets you sack an artifact or a creature to draw to and make another treasure token. That card is way overpowered. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we talked about unexpected windfall, just ways to you know, control your draw, make sure you're not the person that floods out. Yeah, uh, you get cantripping cards like Priest of Ancient Lore and Owlbear. So like putting a body on the board and getting to draw a card off of it, that's really important. And I think just the cards that leave treasure around, right? We talked about Plundering Barbarian or Shambling Ghast. Those things that just make it so you more likely to be able to cast your five drop on time really help out in this format. Yeah, here's another nugget from uh, Beers SC stream. He was talking about how he felt like everybody going into the format was trying to figure out how much of a card does Venture feel like? Venture is a quarter of a card, a third of a card, whatever. And he was like, how much of a card is treasure worth? Like treasure feels like a quarter of a card or half a card. Like it is something in this format. And that has really got me on board with a lot of these cards, but especially a card that I think I was too slow to be happy about, which is Hoarding Ogre. So that's the three in a red, three, three. When it attacks, you know, you roll a d20, make one treasure if it's one through nine, two if it's 10 through 19, and then 20, uh, you get to make three treasures. That card has felt really strong and partially because making treasure is is some amount of a card in this format. Yeah, Hoarding Ogre is, I think, just good. It's a super solid C+, and there's 
board states where it just wins the game the first time it attacks because you have to trade with it or even better if your opponent's on the play or you're on the play with a hoarding ogre if you can use a removal spell and get a clean attack in i think the game is just done because you get such a mana advantage from that card right if you get to use a removal spell get a thing out of the way and then make one to two treasure you're likely double spelling that turn anyway the fact that this can get snuck through with a thieves tools as well really turned me on to it i was like oh dang you can just make this an unblockable repeatable way to make treasure and so you're ramping or whatever or sacking them to deadly disputes or your skullport merchants i mean i think it is at its very very best in red black and probably you know a, a mark down in those other decks where maybe you don't want the treasure so much but there's even inherent synergy in red with treasures too it's a good card in the format like the first time i lost to it i was like i can't believe i'm losing to this garbage card yeah and then i lost to it again and i was like man that was kind of impressive and i lost (laughs) to it again and i was like i gotta bump this up in my pick order and now i finally just come around to like i want to play this card it's good in the format yeah so i think if you're building these decks right that want to get to the mid to late game you really want you know cantrips card draw you want mana sinks and all of those things make you want to play more lands they incentivize you to run 18 lands yeah for sure so i i would say just even with the whatever how, however you think the best one hand smoother works if you're doing that certainly in best of three i've been erring on the side of more lands not less yeah definitely one thing i want to throw out here just maybe to talk about or i don't know a therapy session I have really struggled to feel like I have agency over the games in a meaningful way. You know, it feels like I can generally kind of look at my opening hand and think, yep, this is a great hand. I'm going to curve out and win or uh, this is trouble or, you know, maybe I've mulliganed once and you look at your hand again and it's trouble. Have you felt that at all? Like I have felt struggled to, you know, control whether or not I'm hitting land drops or, you know, whether I'm going to win when I get to the late game, that sort of thing. It's just felt hard. Yeah, well, that's one of the reasons that I because I think there are ways to mitigate flood in the format with these if you're drafting these mana sinks in these decks that want to get to the mid to late game. And there's basically no ways to mitigate missing land drops. And so that's why I'm I'm erring on the side of or just sort of like course correcting myself to bump up the land count that I run in, in my deck just so I'm like, all right, well, I'll. I'll try and fix the mana screw part of this game by running more lands and then have the mana sink so that when I flood, I can hopefully have a place to dump my mana. Um, so that's one way I've been doing it. I mean, there's not a lot, but when you are doing the venture stuff um, or trying to do late game, you know, make sure you have the repeatable ways to venture or maybe you're even running a bag of holding if you don't get the venture stuff. But map, door, rope, hawk are all super important for the decks that want to go late in my mind yeah that all makes a ton of sense to me but then i feel like there's that tension of those aren't really like cards you necessarily want to be playing like 50 feet of rope is really bad until you get to that point right and so sometimes you just get steamrolled by the aggro decks when you're playing those cards and trying to like hedge because you got to beat the aggro decks, but you also have to beat the decks that are not those aggro decks. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, so I, that's why I say like these decks are are fun and can be good, but they do require a lot of pieces of the puzzle. And you're sort of right. You do have to draw them in the right order sometimes. But I'll, that's that's kind of magic, too. I mean, I hear what you're saying about like this format has felt a little dicier in that way. Like there's not a lot, especially if you're if you're not doing this all in venture control thing that I'm talking about, like you don't have an incentive to get to the late game a lot of the time. And so then what happens when you, you know, draw all your equipment in your opening hand or whatever, you know, you've built this great aggro deck, but you just, you know, draw the pieces in the wrong order. That is sort of magic sometimes. Right, for sure. I have felt that I really want ways to interact with artifacts and even enchantments to some degree, but I I don't want the game to be over 
when my opponent plays a plate armor, right? Like yeah. I want to have game against cards like that because you're going to face them. And I think, you know, that's my that's my question for myself that I am going to try to solve as we go deeper into the format here. Because, you know, while you and I, I think, aren't enjoying it the most, we are going to try to bring you the best information for the format and how to win in the format. And I think for me, it's going to be trying to solve, like, how can I get more agency over games? And I think the more agency you get over the games, the, the more you're going to win, obviously. But that, that to me, is the fundamental question in this format. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a, that's a really good point. And hopefully we can get as much good information for that in the coming weeks. So what about, you know, just archetypes that do this well? Are there Are there color pairs, things that have been standing out to you as far as, you know, things that match up well or line up well against the aggro decks? Yeah, so for me, it has felt kind of like a Mardu format. I have been experimenting with blue quite a bit, but not really green so much. And I think you've been playing with green a fair amount, so I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. So yeah, it's felt like a Mardu format. I think black-white venture control and red-black whatever, but red-black leaning towards value or splashing are probably the two best decks for combating aggro, Um, but they operate slightly differently. I think first they set up early defenses and efficiently trade off well. There's a great suite of removal in red and black, right? Red and black get the lion's share of the removal at common or uncommon. You get good early blockers in white with the paladin and dwarfhold champion. Those those two for ones or one and a half for ones, the removal that progresses your game plan, precipitous drop, improvised weaponry, a two for one in priest of ancient lore, etc., um, red black. This is this is the wild thing for me. Is like red black just gets better card advantage or card selection <laughs> than blue does, right? Like we've got deadly dispute, we've got uh, unexpected windfall. So ways for you to you know churn through your deck or get your card selection going is really good. Um, it also produces treasures, so you can splash the powerful things you see. That's another piece of the puzzle that we haven't quite talked about. Is you probably shouldn't be drafting non-aggressive decks unless you're seeing the powerful stuff at higher rarity, right? If your deck is comprised of commons, you should be drafting a beatdown deck. Yes, I agree. That was part of those problems with the derping around I did. I was like, eh, I'll see some good cards to do things with. And I never saw good cards. Right, you just <laughs> might not. Yeah, and that's the problem. I've done that too. I've been like, I'll get the repeatable venture stuff or I'll get the, the good remove. It's just like, no, you have to have all of these pieces reliably. Um, Black White has a ton of ways to venture incidentally and then also loves repeatably venturing. Um, you can splash Hama Pashar. That's the blue white uncommon that doubles the ventures. Um, you can also rely on treasures for splashing from your venturing as well or your or your incidental life gain from venturing and that exists in both of these decks as well to help keep you afloat which you you need as well we talked about you know some life gain to buffer your life as you're getting beaten down i think green and blue just don't quite get to do all the good things that the mardu colors do right and in my mind green gives the goods with some beefy bodies at the top end but doesn't really have the other tools like cheap removal or card draw to keep you afloat yeah you get your cantrips from owlbear but like its removal is these these bite spells right and so you don't get to do them on turn two you could get to do them on turn three if you've got a good creature and that creature probably has to be the basilisk because it has death touch so there's like setup there that you really don't want and you don't have time against the best aggressive decks yeah i think for green what has happened in my experience is green is the the color that really wants to trade like you're trying to trade with your two drop trade with your three drop and then just have bigger bodies once you get to the late game. And you're just really trying to win through like raw power and toughness with green. And I do think it's effective. I mean, I definitely think you can do it. And then you also have the life gain to help, you know, stabilize if if the aggro deck got in early stuff. But you're really trying to win with owlbears and hill giant herd gorgers. 
Yeah, that makes sense. And then I think blue suffers from from a similar problem to green, but probably worse because the thing that it provides is card advantage, but just from like raw card draw, with which has some tension. If like, are you trying to get value from just cards from your deck or are you trying to get value from incidental venture? But it doesn't give you any life gain. It doesn't give you cheap interaction, right? You get you come to a river, the bounce spell for two mana. That's really not what you want to be doing in a defensive deck. Charm Sleep has has not felt good for us. Or for two mana, you get Ray of Frost, which is the uncommon version of Charm Sleep, though it's like slightly worse because it doesn't tap the thing unless it's red. Like blue just doesn't really get to do the thing. And then it also, I mean, it provides some top end stabilization possibilities with the four five ward or the the two five flyer that bounces. But it, it really just doesn't quite get there the way that I think red, black, and white do. Yeah, I I agree completely. And I think red, black does get the goods as far as like the best gamut across the spectrum. It can be very aggressive and it can be very controlling. It gets the card advantage and it gets the card advantage in ways that don't feel detrimental to the stabilization abilities of your deck. Because a lot, because the two things like the, the windfall and the dispute make treasure. And so they're also like progressing the game plan, providing you ways to splash or ramp or double spell. Like, you know, when, when your my opponent taps out for the four mana draw two, potentially scry two in blue, I'm just like, okay, who cares? You know, that doesn't really matter to me. That incremental thing doesn't, doesn't really decide games a lot and red and black it just doesn't feel fair that it gets to do both like the best aggressive thing or one of the best aggressive things and then certainly probably the best late game thing as well yep i agree all right that's what we've got at the moment for you know combating the aggro menace so when you're under attack i think you have two choices right you can either attack back and uh, (laughs) as they say in chess the best defense is a good offense or you can try to do what we're doing where we're talking about you know maybe trading off using some removal spells to get to those four and five drops yeah well we haven't done a a round table yet for this format so i think it'll be interesting you've got a really good one here that's gonna uh, hopefully foster a lot of discussion about cards and strategies for uh drafting the set yeah so pack one pick one i remember this uh this was burning hands versus dragon's fire and i ended up on burning hands which is the one in red deal two but if the permanent's green it deals six instead and twitch chat was telling me eh, no dragon's fire is better and i i kind of went with burning hands and after playing with it i i do wish i had had Dragon's Fire. I think you want the first copy of Dragon's Fire and then you want a Burning Hands. Oh, that's interesting because I remember I was watching your stream and I loved your argument because you took Burning Hands and you were like, I think Burning Hands is better because it'll take out the cheap stuff. But then also it gives you an out in your deck if you're facing the Owlbears or the Herd Gorgers, you have a removal spell that kills those as well, which I thought was really smart, but it sounds like it, it, it didn't play out that way. Yeah, I think there's just enough three toughness things like there's enough four threes running around like I was staring down a chaos channeler one time yeah. with burning hands in my hand. There's a, there's enough four threes that are premium or three threes like it doesn't kill the ogre like that's a big deal. Um, so I think you want the first copy of Dragon's Fire first. So but I did end up on burning hands over Dragon's Fire here. So moving on to pack one, pick two, see the following cards as options. Not really much consideration here for anything. Yeah. There's a hobgoblin captain uh, at common, the best common. Moving on to the uncommons, there's a warlock class, but there's also a magic missile, which is just busted. Uh, that's the one red, red sorcery deals three divided as you choose and can't be countered worth noting by ward. That's come up a few times for me already that I've missed. And then the rare is treasure chest, which is not particularly playable unless you have a blue red dice rolling deck that can stack the deck or the dice in your favor, as it were. Um, but it's three. You can pay four tap it to roll a D20 on a one. You lose three, two through nine. You make five treasure. 10 through 19, you gain three life, draw three cards. And you actually don't really want to roll a 20, I don't think. 
search your library for a card. If it's an artifact, you can put it onto the battlefield. Otherwise, put it into your hand. Yeah, I think you want to roll that 10 through 19. I don't think treasure chest is a very good card. I agree. This seems like a, a pretty easy magic missile. Yep. Burning hands into magic missile. Moving on to pack one, pick three. Here's where it starts to get interesting. Yeah. So there's no real commons in consideration. The best commons are probably like planner ally, which is a three white, white, three, three. When it attacks, you venture into the dungeon. There's a horde robber, one in a black for the one, three. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, make a treasure token. I think you could consider that as well. There's also a Yuan T fang blade. Uh, two in a black for the 2-2 death toucher when it deals combat damage to a player you venture into the dungeon. I think it's worth noting here that there is no red card to speak of other than you come to the null camp. Um, so Ben is going to have to take a non-red card here to follow up the burning hands and the magic missile. Yep, for sure. So moving on to those uncommons, there are some great options here. There's Trellisara Moon Dancer, which is green-white for a 2-2 when you gain life, put a plus one plus one counter on it, and scry one. And there's also Ray of Enfeeblement, which is black for an instant. Target creature gets minus four, minus one until end of turn. If that creature was white, it gets minus four, minus four instead. I have liked main decking the first copy of Ray of Enfeeblement as just like a cheap trick. And then sometimes you face a white deck and it just totally owns whatever white creature you want to kill. Past that, I've been keeping them in the sideboard, either in best of one or in best of three to, to bring in. Where have you been at with that? I like it a lot. I think I'm pack one, pick one it over Grim Bounty and Precipitous Drop. Whoa, I am not there. That's interesting. Okay, maybe maybe I'm too low on it. I think it's just a good card. And then when you play against a white deck, it's like insane. Yeah, for sure. No, definitely when you play against a white deck, it's wild. Yeah, I, I think I'm going to make a different pick than you. I would take Trellisara Moon Dancer here just as a look. There's no card that follows up here with red. I like Ray of Enfeeblement a lot, um, but you know, in the world where green-white is open, I'm going to be thrilled that I take Trellisara here. In the world where black is open, I'm not going to be that bummed, I think, about missing out on Ray. Like, I'll feel a little bad, but I think the, the upside there for me for the green-white card is there. What if I replaced Ray of Enfeeblement with Grim Bounty, since you seem to like that better? Are you still on Trellisara? No, I think I would take Grim Bounty there. I see. That's interesting. So maybe yeah. the difference lies in where we're valuing Raven people went. So my mm -hmm. thought process was, and I think you can make an argument for either card. Um, it's just where you want to steer. Raven Feeblement lets you potentially play all three of your draft picks and mm -hmm. steer towards the best archetype. Whereas Trellisara is going to be great if you end up green white, but you're not playing your red cards with Trellisara hardly ever, probably like less than 1% of the time or something. Right. Um, so that's why I landed on Ray. But I, I do think you just have to decide which direction you want to go. And I think Trellisara is super reasonable, but I did end up on Ray there. Okay. So pack one, pick four, see the following cards as options. There's Plundering Barbarian, the two in a red for a two, two. When it ETBs, you destroy an artifact or make a treasure. There's Feridus Fireball, which I think is just worse than Plundering Barbarian. That's the deal five for five mana. There's a Boots of Speed, red for the equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one plus one, has haste, and has equip one. And then uncommon-wise, there's two uncommons missing. Um, so the last remaining uncommon is Bag of Holding. It's one mana for an artifact. Um, you can pay two, tap, draw a card, discard a card. Four, tap, sack it, return all the cards that you exiled with Bag of Holding back to your hand. So every time you discard a card, you exile it. And then ultimately, you have a chance to recoup all the cards that you uh, looted with. Mm -hmm. And then the rare is Zalto, Fire Giant Duke, three red red for a 7-3 with Trample. And wherever it's dealt damage, you venture into the dungeon. This is a tough choice, I think. So I think it boils down, for me, the best red common, I guess, is Plundering Barbarian. Is that right? I kind of think so, especially with having three removal spells at the moment. I'm not particularly jazzed about Boots of Speed with where we're at right now. 
Right, and Ferret as Fireball seems not necessary having three removal spells so far, especially if you get into black, you hope you get a Grim Bounty, so you're like, you don't need the, the catch-all removal to be the Fireball. Um, where are you at with this rare? I have been impressed by Zalto, not for the, the venturing, but just as a 5-mana 7-3 trample, if you have a red deck that is assertive, this as your 5-drop has, has felt very oppressive. Oh, interesting. I have not had that experience much at all i was my thought was that three toughness for five mana was just not enough especially if you were on the back foot at all yeah i mean i think if you're if you're gonna build that deck with optimism a little bit to think about okay this is my five drop but i mean maybe small sample size probably for both of us in terms of our experiences with the card but it has felt oppressive to me from my opponent's side interesting yeah i that was not really on my radar as a good card like i think i would grade it at like a c minus or something like that so maybe that I need seemed, to move it up. Yeah, that seems pretty low to me, but I don't know. And then there's Bag of Holding, which I think you seem to like a bit more than I do these days, though I don't know when this draft was. But like my feeling is if I'm derping around, I'd rather have the venture stuff than than this this looting engine, especially as I, as I, I wonder if folks are going to be main decking more and more artifact removal. This feels a little scary, um, but I see that's what you selected. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so I landed on Bag of Holding for me over plundering barbarian with the three removal spells i was thinking okay you know if i'm going to be training removal spells one for one a lot i want bag of holding as a way to be able to run 18 lands and mitigate flood like we talked about in the episode yeah so that you know after i trade one for one one for one one for one i've got a way to make sure that i'm the person that ends up drawing more spells than my opponent that was my thought process here yeah that makes a lot of sense to me um so landed on bag of holding over the zalto and the plundering barbarian Moving on to pack one, pick five, things start to get really spicy. <laughs> so only red card in the pack is a Goblin Javelinier. That's red for the 1-1 one, one with haste, and whenever it becomes blocked, it deals one damage to target creature blocking it. Also worth noting, if you've not drafted this format a ton, is very good in tandem with Reaper's Talisman, yep. um, which is the, the black artifact that uh, gives your creature death touch on attacks and drains two gains to if it was the only one attacking, because then whenever it gets blocked by anything, it does that one damage to the creature blocking it so that um, you just instantly get a death touch it down. Yeah, I think as the format progresses, people are going to be aware of that. But I, I've definitely gotten some people with that just thinking they can block and then oops, death touch ping, your creature's dead. Yep. So only red card in the back. There's no black in the pack at all. So remaining cards that are interesting. There's a soul knife spy, two in red for the three two when it deals combat damage to a player, you draw a card. There's also shortcut seeker, three in a blue for a two five when it deals combat damage to a player, you venture into the dungeon. And that's really about it. Like there's some green combat tricks, but nothing good enough to make you really want to move into green. Yeah, for sure. And it also doesn't quite fit with the red cards you have. I mean, like, I, I like that you're already sort of starting to think of not that these removal spells can't go in a, an aggressive deck, but the more aggressive you are, the less interested you are in answers. And you've got two, potentially three, if you're in black, three really good answers here uh, for your, your deck's start that I think you do want to lean a little bit more controlling perhaps or tempo-y perhaps yeah that was my thought process i that so i ended up on the soul knife spy here um because i thought you know potentially my removal spells could push it through to net me some card advantage yeah i like that okay so we take the soul knife spy so we've got the magic missile the burning hands the ray of enfeeblement bag of holding and soul knife spy 
Moving on to pack one, pick six. See the following cards as options. There's a vampire spawn. Tune black for the two, three, one ETBs. Uh, drain two, gain two. There's another shortcut seeker, the, the two, five. There's dueling rapier is the only red card in the pack. Red flash when ETBs attached to a creature you control and equipped creature gets plus two, plus oh, and then it has an equipped cost of four after that. And then there's also genie windseer, the three and a blue for a three, three, when it ETBs, you roll a D20. And depending on what you roll, you scry one, two, or three. So I see what you selected here, which is the shortcut seeker, which I don't hate, and I think is is in line with our potential hot take of seeker over Ginny Winsier. Though perhaps if you're on a tempo game, you still just want the Winsier. I don't know. It's a card that I feel like I see on the other side of the battlefield a lot more than I see on my my own side, and it's something I do have to deal with. But so does shortcut seeker. Seeker feels like more of a card that I need to hold off, and Winsier feels like more of a card that I probably need to just find a straight up removal spell for yeah it's interesting i think the winds here goes better with the soul knife spy there's a little bit of tension with soul knife spy and shortcut seeker unless you're just like planning to sneak both of them in in blue black or something Mm -hmm. but i almost think looking at this i'd rather have the winds here here my my brain is programmed to think that the winds here is not great because i've really not been happy with the fact that it doesn't block hobgoblin captains and things of that ilk but yeah I, i don't know this is a tough pick here i think yeah. I also, do you think there's any merit to taking Null Hunter here? That's what I was just looking at. That's a card I didn't name. One in a green yeah. for 2-2 and pack tactics whenever it uh, attacks. If you control six or greater power attacking creatures, it gets plus one, plus one. I think I honestly almost like the Null Hunter here yeah. in retrospect, just to try to avoid the drafting blue. But maybe that's going too hard. I don't know. I don't think that is. Null Hunter's really good. And I do. I would rather be green red than blue red. That is... Yeah, I kind of like the Null Hunter pick looking at this now. Yeah, it's super interesting. That's why I, I really like this draft log. I have not felt like a lot of drafts. I was talking about this on stream. Like, I don't feel like the drafts are generally difficult. Like, I feel like I have a solid pick order for myself. And when, you know, when I'm trying to just like, you know, spike up and do the best draft I can, when I'm not derping around and just trying to force ventures or whatever or sweet stuff. I do feel like my prescribed pick order has led me to feel like the drafts are somewhat straightforward. And this feels like a unique one in that respect where there are, I think, a lot of options depending on what you think you want to draft and where you see the draft going in the future picks. Right. And I think there's also some argument right here. This does feel like sort of a road determining pick in some senses because i think if you think red black's the best deck and you're like you know i'm gonna jam red black come what may i think there's a world where you can take vampire spawn here too because it's just a great body um it's gonna stabilize you against aggressive starts that sort of thing but i kind of like the null hunter um i did end up on the shortcut seeker so moving on to pack one pick seven see the following cards as options there's swarming goblins Four and a red for a four three when etbs you roll a d20 on one through nine you get a one one double digits you get two one ones and if you roll 20 you get three one ones there's another shortcut seeker as well as precipitous drop um the tuna black for the aura when it etbs you venture into the dungeon and gives a creature minus two minus two or minus five minus five if you completed a dungeon also shout out to your trellisara hedge there's a prosperous innkeeper here as well one on a green for the one one when etbs you make a treasure and whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain a life. So maybe if you take control of Sara, there was world to navigate into green white here. I guess. Yeah. So what would that have been? That would have been Trellisara into, I still think I would take a red card pick four. I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to imagine getting into green white, but yeah, maybe, maybe I would take the innkeeper there. Um, I, I like taking just swarming goblins here. I think we should talk about precipitous drop as like, it's not, we've, we've had it as the number two black common 
for the past couple of weeks. And I don't know if that's quite um, accurate in terms of precipitous drop is effectively a black, white, gold card in my mind. Maybe you could make an argument for it in blue, black, depending on the flavor of it. But I don't like it in black, red very much. And I don't like it in black, green very much. Right. You want improvised weaponry way more than precipitous drop in black, red. Yeah, for sure. So like, you know, maybe down the road, we'll retool those top commons, but I don't know if precipitous drop, you know, when you're in black, white, it's almost sometimes better than Grim Bounty, depending on, on how many of, of each you have. Um, but outside of those decks, you know, it's it's quite contextual. And oftentimes it's just a three mana dead weight. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I like staying red here, taking the Swarming Goblins, getting deeper into that color, and then figuring out the rest later as the draft goes on. Yeah, pack one, pick eight, uh, solidified into red with an improvised weaponry and actually ended up navigating into kind of a blue-red tempo deck, kind of a blue-red dice rolling deck the awkward thing about this deck was we didn't have a lot of good two drops we did have the two two burning hands we ended up with to interact with the opponent two soul knife spies two charm sleeps uh, plenty of removal to push through our things we also had a fey wild trickster with a, a reasonable amount of die rolling honestly this deck played out pretty well like we just had a nice mix of interaction creatures um ended up five three i think in diamond uh, en route to uh, ultimately ending up mythic a few drafts later but i was pleased with this deck how it played out despite looking kind of weak on paper yeah makes sense all right there you have it good place to wrap us up i think go forth uh and either win with your two drops or win with your five drops and uh, thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give it a listen Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both on Twitter under those same usernames, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. But I don't think that's true because I don't think it releases until next Friday, right? Because the pre-release is a week out. That's so weird. What is it that really like? Because it feels like it's been out for two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. We're already sick of the set and it's not even released yet. <laughs> <laughs> a plus. Let's go. <sighs> Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks. Oh, yeah. That's me. Nothing extra. Just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.